0: The winter meetings are upon us. Our guest today, James Fox from Future Sox, is going to preview it and talk about some of the trade rumors, guys that might move off the White Sox, the the Rule 5 draft, all that good stuff, Uh, even a little bit on the draft lottery the second year of it uh, this year. And there's some uh, interesting uh, storylines just around what pick the White Sox could end up with and the impact on future years. And he's going to break all that down for us. The Sox nerd is going to be on the show as well. And, And my dad called me confused as to why the White Sox would move Dylan Cease right now. And I was trying to explain to him that you don't have Scott Boris as an agent if you're not going in the free agency in two years. And if your window is not open at this moment and you're trying to do a quick turnaround, my feeling is you're picking up again. Major League ready, on the cusp of the Major League, somebody who's going to be on your 26-man roster playing on the White Sox has to be a centerpiece, if not two guys like that for Dylan Cease. And those guys, if they get halfway through the season or at the trade deadline, may not be available. And there may be a smaller pool of teams that feel like they're in it, and the market may be at his best for him right now.
1: Well, and even simplify it further
0: than that, you have
1: a team right now that has a massive depth problem on its major league roster and in its upper minor leagues. You have a team right now that has, yes, I'm going to say it, a lot of holes to fill. And you, you need to put players in position to be on the major league roster for longer than just a year at a time, like a Paul DeYoung kind of a thing. You can't just keep doing that and, and, and filling and patching and band-aiding over these things. You need to find some longer-term solutions. And if you don't want to go into the full-on rebuild and play the prospect game, which is just it's a dice roll. I don't
0: want it. And, and I don't think Getz is going to do it either. And
1: I don't think Getz wants it either. Then what you do, what any team does across any of the major sports is that they look at their stars and they look at the ones that they sit there and go, who has value? Who do I think can bring me back something? Who do I think other teams are going to look at and say, I will give you more than what I think I should probably give for this guy because it's this guy. And you're trying to sit there and turn Dylan Cease into two or three players, maybe not two or three stars. That would be amazing. That would be great. Okay. Okay but two or three competent long-term pieces for the major league roster so that you don't have to sit here and rely on a draft pick or worry about the draft lottery, right? Or try and and figure out some Rule 5 guy because those guys are usually, you know, a lot of talent but not quite ready for the majors, and that's how they end up, you know, they they end up sitting on a roster and you don't really know what to do with them, and you see glimpses of it for a while, but they're a longer-term project. So Dylan Cease is at his peak value right now. This is why Dylan Cease is getting moved. Dylan Cease is two years left of club control at what
0: will be likely very reasonable prices. Dylan Cease is cheaper than than Kenta Maeda just signed for. I mean, if you look, you're looking at pitchers that are signing two, three-year deals, and you look at what Cease is going to make likely in arbitration over the next two years. He's a better pitcher at lesser money. That's why so many teams are chasing him. That's why there was a report out the other day that more than 12 teams are, are in the running for him. He's like the prize of the offseason, much like Cork and Carey is the prize of the area around the ballpark. Pre-game, post-game, in-game, the proud sponsors of Sox in the basement. Go see Gino on Tuesdays. Two-for-one award-winning burgers when you dine in. Even in the off-season, there is always so much fun at Cork and Carry at the park, in the shadow of the ballpark at 33rd and Princeton. And don't forget about their original location, 10614 Southwestern Avenue, the traditional Irish bar in the Beverly neighborhood. There are specials every week, every weekend. Follow them on all the social medias and check it all out at corkandcarry.com Peak
1: value, right? Two years of club control at a very cheap cost for what he can provide because it, it you can still look to, right now, it, it, as we're sitting here in this offseason, you can look at 2022 and sit there and say, that Cy Young runner-up year, represents Dylan Cease's, his minimum ceiling, right? The sky might be the limit for this guy.
0: Right. If he starts the season and starts looking like what he was in 23, his value decreases. And that was the
1: Yoan Moncada thing from a couple of years ago, right? Look at Dylan Cease's history. In 2019, very limited, 579 ERA. Whip was an ugly 1.548. He could always strike dudes out. 2020, shortened season. You know, you can kind of throw that out. But a 401 ERA, not that great. 1.4 whip, not great. 21 1.3 1.249 rather around the whip 3.91 era he's showing improvement 2022 he's got his best year he's showing improvement last year he regresses if he has two years of regression then the regression becomes the norm right it's it's the Oan Mancata effect where we saw him have that one great year and we think like that's what he could be but then you look at it and the more the evidence starts to mount that he is what we what we have now the guy that you kind of hope hits above 250 a guy that you kind of maybe are rooting for her to hit 15 home runs, his value is incredibly diminished. It, and, and now it's, it's, for Moncada, it's killed by his contract. So Cease is at peak value. If Chris Getz was ever going to turn one guy into three starters, two stars, anything like that, if he was ever going to maximize value, this is the offseason right now to sit there and say, I can find more pitching somewhere else, or I can develop guys in the minors, that will come up and come on through, or I can focus on Mike Soroka as my my ace going forward and trying to get him back to it.
0: You're like I'm high on Mike Soroka, but I hope that there's a better plan for pitching. Right I, 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 me
1: too, <laughs> me too, and I and I think there will be. Honestly, I think I think he he moves cease one. I do think he's going to try and get something for the rotation back, not not your ace, but something for the rotation back,
0: and he's going to have to buy some pitchers. What, what is the thing that would ease the 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 mind of a White Sox fan? Go out and sign a a, a pitcher to a three, four-year deal and show that you're not going into next season with no starting pitchers and going into a full rebuild. He made a comment the other day. Getz made a comment when asked about Michael Kopech where he actually lauded his time in the bullpen. And it was almost as if he was telegraphing like, I'm not so sure if he's even a starting pitcher. Michael Kopech in the bullpen is a, is a serious weapon. Like, like Chris Getz may be looking at Michael Kopech the way we've looked at him on this show for, the, for over a year now is that he may be a much greater weapon in the bullpen and there is no assurance that he's ever going to stick with his arsenal in the way that he he approaches starts and what we've seen up to this point where he's going to be uh, you know a, a real piece of his of his rotation. So when I hear that it almost means that when Cease is gone you have no starting pitchers. You have no, you, like who knows what this rotation is. So I think the thing that would ease the mind of Sox fans is him going out and acquiring legitimate starting pitching, because if he goes out and acquires legitimate starting pitching and not filling all five spots, of course, but saying, hey, we're going to have some young guys that we're going to work in there. Some of them may not make it. They'll sit in AAA, and we're going to have some legitimate starting pitching we're going to bring in. Not necessarily an ace, not necessarily going for the big name, but starting to build this thing because then next year with all the payroll flexibility, that's when we go out and we make our splash. That's when we start adding things in, when we know what we have after the 24 season. And we've got a couple of those legitimate starting pitchers that we sign in free agency still there for a couple more years because we gave him a three or four year deal that I think would ease the mind of the White Sox fan. And, and he could do that before he moved Dylan Cease and it would make perfect sense for him. I don't think there's a clock on that where he has to wait to go make that move. He's got some payroll flexibility already and he should be able to go and make that move while he's still shopping Dylan Cease. In fact, take another pitcher off the board and continue to up the price of the guy that you're getting ready to move. I think he's probably already got as well a couple of deals on the table. Oh, sure. He's got to have a package from the Dodgers. And probably, I think the Orioles, there's a lot of smoke there, right? They probably really want to deal with them. The Orioles have have a lot to offer. They do. In fact, I think right now is the perfect time to bring in our good friend James Fox from Future Sox. As we get ready to welcome him in for exterior windows, doors, patio doors, and storm doors, look no further than window and door superstore of Oak Forest, No high-pressure sales. They're not coming in with a dingy example window sitting in your kitchen, in your living room, and trying to tell you, imagine what this will look like. No. You go into the showroom. You see a full example. All the glass designs on display. All the little add-ons are right there. No pictures in a book. See it in person. Owners in showroom and at the site, all of their own employees, they don't farm out the work. 40 years they've been doing it like this in Oak Forest since 1985 with all major brands custom made and no stock items for a perfect fit. They're a half block east of 159th and Ridgeland at 6280 159th Street. See more at windowdooroakforest.com. On the phone line with me right now from Future Socks, also part of the broadcast basement on-demand radio network. James Fox joins us. How are you, buddy? Hey, man. What's going on? Uh, look, uh, there's a lot going on. We got winter meetings about to start. That means Rule 5 draft is going to be happening. Uh, and then we also have all these trade rumors that are that are going around. Uh, everybody's waiting for Dylan Cease to be dealt, even though I think that it makes more sense for the White Sox to watch the top end of the starting pitching class, of this free agent class, move on to their next team. And then that increases demand and Chris Gets gets the best package possible. You've been watching this thing. I'm hearing Orioles. I'm hearing Dodgers. I think Orioles will be interesting. I think Kerstad sitting in the outfield opening day as part of that package would be very interesting to me. I think uh, moving on from Cease and fixing positions with players that are on the cusp, major league ready, or even a major league player would make me very, very happy with the return rather than seeing a prospect that's two years away. Uh, That's the difference between a rebuild and a retool. What are you seeing right now with Dylan Cease?
2: Yeah, I think similar to kind of what you said, I think he's definitely going to move. I think everybody has kind of said, like, you know, there's no reason for the White Sox to hang on to Dylan Cease at this point just because you're, you're, just, you're not going to be very good next year, and he's up after 2025. And, you know, he's a Scott Boris guy. I think there's a little bit of a misconception. And listen, like, I'm not going to come on here and, like, necessarily give the White Sox the benefit of the doubt, right, because they don't deserve it. But, like, with Boris clients, it, it is a little bit different. Like it's not like Dylan Cease is gonna get moved and then like sign an extension and that shows that the White Sox are cheap. He hired Scott Boris. You don't hire Scott Boris to sign contract extensions. He's going to free agency. Any team that had Dylan Cease right now would have to, you know, kind of consider this. This, this is a, a two-year rental for somebody. Now, with that being said, he's, you know, one of the most controllable names on the market. You know, he a good smart team could get him back to. You know, number one or like high number two level with his pitch metrics and all the strikeouts, and he's going to be fairly cheap. Like you know, he's probably going to be eight to nine million this year, um, and then somewhere in the twelve to fifteen range next year. So yeah, I mean, look, they're they're going to get a lot. I don't know when it's going to happen. You know, I, like the John Morrissey tweet was weird the other day, and he has a relationship with Chris Getz. He's always kind of had Chris Getz news, but you know, it does seem like they're trending kind of towards what you've said, where they're going to wait. I mean, it makes sense. Like, you know, these meetings are going to be heavily influenced by, you know, what Shohei Otani does Yamamoto, who's coming over from Japan. It's not supposed to decide until after the meetings. And then there's like a Juan Soto trade that'll likely happen. But I mean, look, you still have pitchers on the market, Blake Snell, Jordan Montgomery, the top ones, you have Marcus Stroman and a bunch of guys under him. So, yeah, I mean, there's going to be some clubs that miss out on pitching if you want to hold out. But I kind of feel like if the White Sox hear the names they want to hear, like they'll just trade Dylan whatever, whenever, right? My guess is there's a disconnect somewhere. You know, I think they have good offers, but they're waiting for that killer offer, and, and they'll wait until they get it. But all signs point to them getting it. Um, I agree on Baltimore. I, I think Baltimore would be – you know, the best destination for the White Sox, just because you mentioned it. I mean, Heston Kirstad, the power hitting outfielder out of Arkansas, he was the number two pick in the draft a few years back. I mean, he could instantly slot in in right field. There's some concerns that he moves to first base eventually, but I mean, he's going to mash. And then they just, they have a million infielders. Joey Ortiz is a slick fielding shortstop that, that's hitting the minors, and they've kind of Norby at second. And they just, the Orioles have a ton of prospects. And Mike Elias has always kind of been like a prospect hugger where he doesn't trade these guys, but there's they have so many that so many of them are blocked. They could make a Dylan cease trade like without even denting their system or like them going forward. So I'm hoping it's them. It could also be the Dodgers, obviously. The Dodgers have a bunch. They have high level hitters as well, like in a Michael Bush, Dalton Rushing, guys like that. The one thing I'm pretty confident in, I don't I don't think it's gonna be Atlanta. I know that's been out there. And that's his hometown team, but they just they don't have much to deal um their their system isn't great and it's pitching heavy. I don't think this is going to be a pitching heavy pro uh a pitching heavy return the White sox really need close to the majors position players. That's what I kind of think it'll be so I think if it's the Dodgers or Baltimore, that would be great, but it could be a wild card you know his contract gets. Arizona, Cincinnati, teams like that in the mix, like if they want to be. So it'll be interesting to watch. Like probably over the next week, I would guess by the end of the meeting to Wednesday, she's probably moves in my opinion.
0: You know, and it's interesting you brought it up there. It You're saying, again, we're talking about talent that would be ready to go. We're talking about talent that is blocked because it has done what it needed to do in the minor leagues and is looking for its opportunity. We're not talking about talent that still needs to be developed at the single-A or double-A level, which is kind of how Rick Hahn and Kenny Williams did it when they were making trades back in, in 2017-ish, you know? I mean, that's not what we're looking at here, and I'm I'm noticing what Chris Getz is doing, and, I, and I'm noticing the teams that seem to be frontrunners, and they're teams that have guys that are ready to step in right away. It doesn't mean in 24 the White Sox are going to be a good team. It means they're going to have a bunch of young guys, but it also means that it won't be this long period of time before they are competitive, if those are the kind of players he goes for. He's also looking at moving somebody like Aloy Jimenez, I believe. Here's a guy who doesn't have a position and may fetch something, but I would think that's happening later on in the year. What do you think about Aloy?
2: Yeah, I think he definitely moves. I mean, I think it's kind of been written, like Jesse Rogers of ESPN expects it. Some people I've talked to expect it. Look, I I thought, I, I just, like, I'm a little bit surprised, not that they would move him. I just don't know, like, why he has much value. I mean, it's $13 million for a DH only that really hasn't done anything. And I know there's, like, a lot of White Sox fans that think Aloy Jimenez is great. And, look, he's fun when he's hitting homers and, you know, all that. But he just, he hits so many balls, like, on the ground still. And his his approach isn't great. He swings at pitchers' pitches. He's always hurt. So, I don't know how good the return is going to be for Aloy Jimenez. I just think that they don't really want him on the team because they want more flexibility. I don't know that they would dump him for a return that's not great. So, you know, I, I think, like, the Marlins are a team that's had interest in the past. That That's an option. I think we see this Dylan Cease trade, and then after that, it's kind of see what you could get for Aloy Jimenez, and then you, you try to make that move too. Essentially, there are some guys similar to him on the market, like Jorge Soler is a free agent. And, you know, there's a lot of like DH first base types. But I mean, you know, if Chris Getz is going to preach defensive improvement, I, I think it's really tough to have Aloy Jimenez on your team um, unless you plan on DHing him every day. And I guess they probably just would want to leave the flexibility of DH open. So I think he moves. I just I don't know how soon that's going to
0: happen. I think what calms White Sox fans is if Chris gets actually goes out and signs a piece that he intends to keep on the team long-term. Like, I'm waiting for that pitcher that gets signed. You know, not necessarily an ace of your staff, but somebody that he signs for three, four years, it's in his big free agent class that shows, hey, we're not just going to start five l- rookies like we're actually going to go out there and and continue the build because we
2: want to turn this around quick. Do you think we'll see that this off season? Yeah, I mean, I would imagine they're going to have to sign pitching. Um now, I don't know if that means like just like short-term pitching, right? Like if that's like a Jack Flaherty because he knows your pitching coach or like a Michael Lorenzen who was pretty good last year so then you can like throw a lot of these young pitchers in the mix. You know, I heard a lot about Yariel uh, Rodriguez, who's out of Cuba, but now it seems like the White Sox have kind of softened there a little bit just because there are a lot of questions about that guy, like whether he's a starter or a reliever. And if they think he's a reliever, I mean, there's just there's really no reason to give him $50 million or whatever he's going to get. So I kind of thought originally that that would be the move, and now it seems like it might not be. Look, they have to add pitching. I mean, what you're talking about, like maybe it's just as simple as like a deal – with the Dodgers for like a guy that's 23 or 24 that's already pitched in the majors. That's like a young starter like that.
0: They have so many guys. I mean, that you could see them at move yeah. a 26 year old Ryan
2: Pepio. Like you could see them right, do something right. like that because they have so many guys. Emmett, Emmett Sheehan. Yeah, there's right. Exactly. So it could be like somebody that you've heard of that just like, you know, goes into your rotation because the White Sox have a, a longer leash than the Dodgers do quite frankly. Right. Like the Dodgers just, they don't have the time to give these guys like 150 innings to to figure out their business, whereas the White Sox kind of can right now. So, yeah, like I would think there's some level of free agent siding because if you look at their rotation right now, I don't even know that Michael Kopech is in it. And like once they trade Cease, like who are you? Like I don't know who's in the rotation, you know? So
0: Like the two acquisitions from Atlanta are probably the guys I'm most sure of who will probably end up in the rotation which is kind of funny.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Soroka for sure. And Schuster has options if you're not thrilled with the way he looks. Right. So he could even be in Charlotte as well. So yeah, but it's a, just a whole mix of Jake Eater and Christian Mena and Nick Mastrini and all these guys. But I would imagine that there's at least two like veteran, like bookends in that rotation, but it might be short term ish type guys and not what you're talking about. But I think, you know, fans would welcome you know, a starter. Like if they went out inside Jordan Montgomery or something. You know, what I maybe mean? like, oh, okay, like that makes sense. Cause I because I do think they think that, you know, they can compete in twenty twenty five. And I don't disagree with them depending on what else they can do
0: here. James Fox, join us here on Socks in the Basement, brought to you by Elite Benefits of America. If your company's going through the medical renewal right now, you're dreading what's gonna happen. You're upset about what's happening at this point. Increased premiums, out of pocket expenses. Some employees could go into medical bankruptcy based upon the decisions made by your company. Do not fear. Butch Zemar and Elite Benefits of America are here. Whether you run the benefits program for your company, own the company, if you buy your own insurance privately on your own, or if you're at retirement age dealing with medical, the folks over at Elite Benefits are the ones you call right now to help you out during this period of time and to help you in the future. Don't wait. Waiting costs you more money and makes things harder on you in the new year and beyond. Call Butch today, 708-535-3006 and visit EliteBenefits.net. Let's talk about the Rule 5 draft. They they have a full 40-man roster, so they're going to have to release somebody. Do you think that's possible? When do they have to release the player by? And will Chris Getz go hunting for a player that he's got to keep on his roster because he picked him Rule 5 to be able to retain him all year long?
2: Yeah, so they did make a move yesterday. Actually, oh, I missed it. Yeah, you missed it. So there's are 39 now. Who they move? They out they outrighted Nick Padilla, who's a right-handed reliever. Oh, that's why. Um, I, that's why I didn't notice because right, I didn't right, care. Right, <laughs> right. So he was outrighted. Uh, so basically, what that means is they like put him on waivers. Nobody claimed him and because nobody claimed him. He's off your 40 man, but he's like still in your org. Whatever. And then Adam Hazley. Uh, like elected free agency because he was the DFA for DeYoung. young. So, so they're at 39 so they can make a pick if they want. Uh, and, and I would imagine they will like they pick fourth. I feel like teams that pick up that high generally take somebody like the rule five is weird, but there's no reason not to get a free player. Like if you have a roster spot, like it, it costs you a hundred thousand dollars to make a selection um, if the player doesn't make your team, then you, you send him back for, for $50,000 um, to their team. And that's what happened last year. They took that Nick Avila, and he was okay in spring training, but the White Sox are trying to contend. He didn't make their team. They sent him back to the Giants. I, I feel like there are some options this year, but you, like the Rule 5 strange. Like you don't know what they're looking for. RJ Dabovich is a name, and I have an article out um, on futuresox.com, just, you know, Rule 5 preview with some names in there. Um, and they're just like some guesses, obviously, but like RJ Dabovich is one of the best relievers, um, in the minors, but he had hip surgery this year and missed most of the year, uh, for the Giants. So they left him unprotected. I think it's interesting that he's on the Giants. So he knows Brian Bannister. Um, so I think that's like the the connection for me. So our, RJ Dabovich, if it's a guy like that, I wouldn't be surprised. And then Tanner Burns was a starter at Auburn, um, pretty highly regarded one. He was a second round pick of the Guardians in 2020. You know, he's just kind of like a back end starter um, that the Guardians left unprotected. I mean, that, you, know, you could grab him and add him to that mix of young ish guys that we were just talking about, like in the mold of Jake Eater and some of these other guys. And then on the position player side, like Justin Durden is a left handed hitting outfielder for the Astros, Hudson Haskins, a, you know, a Uh, really athletic center fielder for the Orioles. Like, look, these guys aren't stars, but they could be fourth outfielders on this White Sox team for sure. So it just depends on, on what they're looking for. Catchers go often in the rule five, but I feel like they're mostly like defensive profile catchers. And I'm just not sure the White Sox are going to do two of those guys. You know what I mean? Like they have Corey Lee, I would imagine if they go defense at the other spot, it's probably a veteran would be my guess. So that would be kind of surprising. So look, if they make a pick, I feel like tool the outfielder that they think could play part time or some level of pitching, probably the bullpen because well, there's a lot of spots available. Uh,
0: I don't think every fan truly understands how the draft lottery works. What's happening this year for the Sox, how it impacts next year I know you can't you can't guess where they're going to end up in their draft, but there is a draft lottery now over the last couple of years. Uh, can you break that down for me? Because I know that's happening at the winter meetings as well.
2: Yeah, so the second annual draft lottery is 430 on Tuesday. Um, I think MLB Network is carrying it. So the White Sox, essentially, they come in in the fourth spot right now, which means they have a 14.7% chance of picking number one. You know, the odds are similar to pick third and, you know, like, to pick second and to pick fourth and whatever along these lines, but they do have an 83% chance to pick in the top six. Um, so they're very likely going to have a top six pick. Now I'm a little bit conflicted on that. You know, I wrote a little bit on it for the website of future Sox. So one of the things major league baseball did to like, you know, end tanking essentially was large market clubs, like can't pick in the lottery in consecutive years. And this is affecting the nationals right now, the nationals picked second overall last year, this year they have the seventh worst record in baseball. They can't pick higher than 10th by rule because of that. So in theory, if the White Sox pick in the top six this year, they can't pick in the top six next year. And and as we've talked about, like, I think they're going to lose 90 plus games. I think if they pick one, two or three, nobody should be upset about that. Like if you get a top three pick, you'll get a good player, even though the class isn't that great. We can talk about that later. Um, I think that's fine. The worst case scenario would be the White Sox picking fifth or sixth this year because then you're kind of closed off from picking top six again next year, even though you're expected to be kind of bad. So, like, if you're not in one of those first couple spots, falling out of the top six and picking, like, seventh actually might be the best case scenario. So, you know, I didn't clarify that. Like, if they pick seventh, they're eligible next year for top six. It's very strange the way that these rules work, but, you know, it's all it's all totally different.
0: I want to be honest with you. I know you're a prospect hound, uh, you know, over at Future Sachs. That's what you guys do, okay? So I completely understand it. Me, I hear you talking about the difference between the fifth pick and the third pick, and I think to myself, they don't develop players anyway, so who cares? <laughs>
2: yeah. No, I understand that.
0: Part. <laughs> like, well, whatever. Whoever they pick is not going to reach their full potential until they can prove to me they can develop players after they pick them high.
2: Yeah, for me it's more it's more about like the money and it always has been, right? So every every pick is slotted, so you want like the highest pick possible. But no, like I agree. Like, look, the Dodgers are good every year and they pick in the twenties. Right. Like it's about developing players. You know, you have to you have to develop players. It's just, you know, for me in a draft class where the best players in it are college first and second baseman. And next year there's, you know, Jordan or, uh, Ethan holiday, who's, you know, Matt holiday's other son, who's better than the one that's like the number one, like prospect in baseball. He's eligible in 2025. You'd like to, you know, have a shot at him if you're going to be terrible again. But I mean, it is what it is. It's all, it's all small type things. If the White Sox land a top three pick on Tuesday, you know, people should be excited about that. But you know th- they'll probably end up in the top six somewhere just because it's eighty-three percent odds. James Fox, he's from Future Sacks.
0: He's also nice enough to come on this show. He's been doing it for years upon years, and he always has good stuff for us. Uh, enjoy the the holiday season. Uh, don't drink too much nog, and uh, and enjoy the winter meetings as well, my friend.
2: Yeah, I will. I love I love the winter meetings. I'm like always like on my phone and on Twitter or X or whatever the hell we're supposed to call it at this point. So yeah. next
0: year, next year, I think you and I we should just go there. I don't know what we would do, but I just kind of want to go and hang and just see what happens. Well,
2: Well, yeah, let's see what city it's in first.
0: On the phone line right now, that music indicates he is here. Dave Marin, otherwise known as the Sox Nerd, he gets those tidbits up on the scoreboard at the rate. He always has some great material, and he's brought to you proudly by the Village of Lamont. Want to experience a downtown with real history, great eats and drinks, and green spaces filled with adventure? Visit the Village of Lamont. Shop, dine, drink, explore, and check out all the holiday things they have going on. They've got a big event where you're able to win prizes and uh, do collectibles for Christmas this weekend in downtown Lamont. See it all at LamontDowntown.com. Nerd, how you doing? Great, Chris. How are you? I'm ready to go, man. we got the winter meetings Maybe Dylan Cease moves, maybe Aloya Menez moves. Uh, We're probably getting a Rule 5 pick. We're going to see a little bit of activity. And what I really want is uh, like controllable starting pitching acquired through free agency because I think that will convince fans this is not a three-year rebuild. That's what I'm hoping for, uh, and I probably won't get any of it this week, but that's what I'm hoping
3: for. We'll head into the winter meetings with my final alphabetical review of the 2023 White Sox, and it continues beginning with Gregory Santos. The right-hander appeared in 60 games in 2023, which were the most by a Sox rookie since Jake Petritschka's 67 in 2014. In those 60 outings, Santos held foes to a 0.77 average with the bases loaded, which was the lowest by a Sox righty since James Baldwin's 0.71 in 1999. That's with a minimum of 13 at-bats. I'm sure we're all hoping for bigger and better things out of Santos in 2024. Next, Brian Shaw. The rubber-armed reliever earned his first sock save in his 764th big league appearance on August 7th. The only pitcher to log his first sock save with more appearances than Shaw was Sparky Lyle at 891 on August 25th, 1982. How about Gavin Sheets? No player in big league history has dominated the Pittsburgh Pirates like Gavin Sheets. The left-handed hitter's slash line of 7-15, 8-18, and 1,500 is the best ever against the Pirates for those with at least eight at-bats against the club. Sheets is 6-8 for eight with two home runs in three games versus the Buccos. Moving on to Tuki Toussaint. The right-hander yielded an average of 7.1 hits per nine innings, which was lowest among Sox pitchers who threw at least 42 and a third innings in 2023. That figure ranked 10th lowest in the league among pitchers with at least 80 innings. This includes his one start with Cleveland. Finally, Andrew Vaughn. The first baseman hit at least 15 homers for the third consecutive season in 2023. He joins Jose Abreu at nine, Carlos Lee at seven, and Alexei Ramirez at five as the only Sox players To hit at least 15 homers in each of their first three big league seasons. Before I get to my zinger, I remind you that these gems and others on players like Rodriguez, Schultans, and Zavala, who do not make the podcast cut, are on my blog, which you can link to at socksinthebasement.com. My zinger? I'll probably delve into the careers of Nicky Lopez and Paul DeYoung in future pods, but I thought I'd give you a little taste with my zinger this week. Did you know, Chris that only Albert Pujols at 415 reached 100 Cardinal homers in fewer games than DeYoung's 572. And one more. Did you know Nicky Lopez's first big league homer was the first big league homer ever hit in the state of Nebraska? That happened for the Royals on June 13, 2019 at Omaha's Ameritrade Park. That's it, Chris. More than you wanted to know about Jake Petrichka, Sparky Lyle, And the Cornhusker State. That's the Sox nerd,
0: and that's another 30 minutes of Sox for fans by fans. And uh, we learned a lot right there. We learned a lot from James Fox, and I learned that I'm already falling in love with Heston Kerstad, and he hasn't even been traded to the White Sox yet. Trust me, if you haven't heard his name, he's swirling about this Dylan Cease thing if it happens with the Orioles. I'm going to stop looking at his stats though. I have to remember what I said on the last show I can't make a trade happen, and neither can you. That's what my MLB The Show is for. The socks team I built there is amazing.
3: Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. basement. Heard everywhere podcasts can be found. And always on SocksInTheBasement.com.